Well, good morning. It is so good to see you. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you. If you're a guest, welcome to Northridge Church, or if you're at our regional campuses or somewhere around the world watching online, it's just great to have you here. And I look at I I was so excited about sharing this weekend's talk that I told the team I'm gotta start the service. Forget that music stuff. We gotta <laughs> go right after that deal. Actually, we're gonna worship at the end of our weekend service, but as I've been unfolding the book of Acts into my own life and then trying to unfold it through the talks of this series called Chapter 29, one thing has just become just powerfully clear to me. And that's the idea that the early church really did turn their world upside down with hope. I mean, it was a world of darkness and a world of despair, and, and they turned it upside down with hope. And the reason is because their own lives were turned upside down by hope. And I, I, I just have to tell you, the reason this series has been so personal for me, it's so impacting for me, and hopefully that's come through in these talks and it's become personal for you, but the reason is because I, I want my life to be turned upside down that way with hope. And I, I want to be a part of a community of believers that turns our world upside down with the hope of Jesus. And so as I've looked into the book of Acts, I've just tried to figure out why is it that, that they went beyond talking about it to actually doing it? Why is it that they really did turn their world upside down? And I think I found two things that became the pillars of their impact in their world. And, and the first is that they, they really did, in a sacrificial way, give themselves to God entirely. I mean, they sacrificially gave themselves. They, they put it all on the altar, so to speak. They, they, they gave up all of their dreams and all of their desires and all of their kingdom building, and they said, we're yours. And they proved it by the way they lived, because these are people who didn't then go on to protect themselves. They, they many of them gave up everything, including their lives. I mean, just read the book of Acts. Uh, you can understand how hope can be believed when someone has hope even in the face of being killed, like Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60, we find that while they were killing him, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. He didn't lose his faith because things weren't going well. He prayed, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the other way, he goes, I, I have given myself to you, and if you want me to come to heaven with you, great. If you want me to stay here, great. Like Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he says, Lord... Here I come, but then he didn't stop there. He fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. Think about it, they were killing him and what did he want for them? The same hope he had. They were killing him and what did he want to do? He wanted to turn them upside down from their darkness and their betrayal and their hatred to, to love, even as he was dying. The reason these people so impacted their world and turned their world upside down was because they really did, not just with words, but with every ounce of their being, sacrificially give themselves to God. Makes sense. They were all in. And then I see that, that as a follow-on, not only did they sacrificially give themselves, but they, they sacrificially gave their stuff. I mean, all you have to do is read through the book of Acts, and the, to these people... They didn't belong to themselves, they belonged to God. And, and their stuff didn't belong to them, it belonged to God. They were going to be generous. I mean, look at Acts chapter 4, just this is one example. Starting with verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions, they had possessions, they had private property, but they didn't claim that any of their private possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. They, they sacrificially gave their stuff. And as a result, with great power, the apostles were able to continue testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There's power in generosity. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Imagine that they were able to conquer poverty in their region because of the unbelievable sacrifice of generosity. And then it says this is how they kept it up, not only through regular giving, but from time to time. Those who owned land or even houses, sold them, and brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, gave it to the church, and, it, and then it was distributed to anyone that had need. The mission went forward, and then gives one example, Joseph, 
a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. How did they turn their world upside down? Because religion talks, but the reality of Jesus in us lives. It's a whole different gig. They sacrificially gave themselves to God, and then they sacrificially gave their stuff. And by the way, doesn't that make sense? If you give yourself, what comes with self? Stuff. It only makes sense. I mean, I've given myself totally to you, God, but not my stuff. What do you think? You can have a prenup with God? Okay, God, I'm going to give you myself, but as I come into this new relationship, sign this contract, none of my stuff. That doesn't happen. And so they, they gave themselves, and along with themselves came their stuff. And this is why they turned their world upside down. And if I could give you an aside just for a minute. Do you know what holds us back from fully experiencing the hope of God in our lives? It's what we hold back from God. They turned their world upside down because they held nothing back. They gave themselves sacrificially. They gave their stuff sacrificially. And they experienced then the fullness of God in their lives. And, and many of us don't because we've got what we're holding back between us and him which is why we're not experiencing his hope turning us upside down, and which is why he's not using us to turn the world upside down at times. And, and I, I, this is full disclosure. I, I want to be a part of God turning the world upside down. I don't want this just to be talk. I want this to be reality. I want it to be like their story. And so I, I see this truth as... And this is, this is something that's happening in me, and I'm just sharing it with you, and hopefully it maybe can happen in all of us. But here's the truth that's really impacting me. I, I've just realized from the book of Acts and from these people's lives that hope, hope, which what we long for, hope, which is what we want to see our world get, hope, it's built upon selfless generosity. That's what hope is built upon. In fact, without selfless generosity, there is no hope. And the whole Bible's proof of that. Look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish. There's despair, there's hopelessness, but instead would have eternal life. There's hope. But what was hope built upon? Even God has to build hope upon it. Selfless generosity. We have hope in our lives because God was so unselfish and so lovingly generous. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 9 shows you the same thing. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had everything. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. He sacrificially gave himself and his stuff so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He, he gave, and that's what he built hope on. And you, you just need to know that we long for hope, but so few experience it because hope is only built through unselfishness, through loving generosity. It's the only way it's built. And the, the best way for me to get this is I, I'm one of these people who's like, okay, I see that truth, but, but if it's true, it'll work in the opposite. And so I always look at the opposite. Right? And so, okay, if hope is only built through selfless generosity, then, then that means selfishness is what will destroy hope, right? Won't build it, it'll destroy it. And here's the truth selfishness is what destroys all hope. And I had to do it in a way that I could understand it. And so I looked at, I looked at the concept of marriage. I'm, I'm married, for those of you who don't know me. This right here, and uh, I've been married 37 years to um, 15 different women. No, not really, to, uh, <laughs> to, to one woman, uh, my wife Roxanne, 37 years. And, and I have to tell you, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Tells you something about her. She's insane, crazy. But anyway, but, but marriage, it, if you look at marriage in our world today, um, 
a lot of marriage is falling apart. There's not a lot of hope in marriage. There's a lot of despair in marriage these days. People get married wondering if their marriage will last. That's why they do prenups and these different things, right? But you know, no one gets married in, in the way we get married around here in the West um, if you're not full of hope. Because you, you think about it, I mean, when you stand on a platform, and this is for those of us who don't contract away everything we are and everything are in case it falls apart. I mean, when you really get married, you stand on a platform and you freely say, um, whether you're rich or poor, now I'd rather you be rich, but whether you're rich or poor, I'm all in. <laughs> or whether you're, whether you're healthy or sick, I'm all in. Whatever the story of your life, I'm all in. What, and, and you know, the wedding day is filled with hope. The wedding day is just filled with hope. And what is that representing? Selfless generosity. I have this life, and I'm going to give it entirely to you. And that's where hope comes from. But, but what destroys that hope? And many marriages, and some of you have been through the unbelievable agony of marriages falling apart. What, what takes a, a marriage relationship from that kind of hope where I'm willing to give my entire story to you and your story to me to being something that falls apart? It's selfishness. They started saying, well, I thought when you said that you were in, whether I'm rich or poor, and when you said you're going to be selflessly generous to me, I thought that meant that I could be selfishly generous to me, and you could be selfish generously to me, and that two people being all about me would make my life great. <laughs> but then we find that when we get married that both people want the other to invest in them, and selfishness starts breaking down the hope. Do you see it? Are, are you with me here? We do the same thing in parenting when we all have kids, and the reason we have kids, uh, those of us who know how that happens, the reason we have kids and make the choice to have them is because we think we're not going to be anything like our parents. And our kids aren't going to be anything like we were with our parents. We think, man, we, we have kids with this hope that we're going to do it better, and our kids will be better. And they're not, and we're not. <laughs> because you know what happens is our kids are born, and they start out okay, but then they become teenagers, right? And uh, they, they, we, we become selfish, they become selfish, and what does selfishness do? It destroys hope. Hope is built upon selfless generosity. They turned their world upside down because of selfless generosity. And so since we tend to be so selfish and, and we start with hope and it breaks down, the question I have to ask is, okay, if we're going to overcome selfishness, if we're going to turn our world upside down with hope, if we're going to experience hope and it's going to last and not diminish, then, then what motivates this kind of generosity? What, when I read the book of Acts, what was it? that motivated them to give themselves sacrificially and to give their stuff sacrificially so they changed their world with hope. And you know what it was? Here's the answer. The, it was the experience of generous love in their lives. They, they experienced God's generous, selfless, consuming love to such a degree that they were transformed into selfless, loving generous people. When you experience selfless, generous love, it motivates generosity. And I, I can tell you this from, from marriage. I came into, and this isn't going to surprise anyone, I'm sure, I came into our marriage and I was, I was a pretty selfish guy. I think all people are pretty selfish. I was really selfish. But over time, my wife's unbelievable, unconditional, selfless, and very generous love has created in me the desire to be selfless and generous with her. She's changed me. Love has changed me. Now, I'm going to be really honest. She doesn't think it's changed me enough. <laughs> but it has changed me. 2 Corinthians 8, we find this in the Bible, that generous love experienced motivates selfless and generous love. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians. 
And now, brothers, we want you to know about the selfless, generous grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And, and we can tell you that they've experienced this unbelievable, generous love from God because of their lives. Because he says, look at this, out of the most severe trial, they're in bad times, and yet they're overflowing with joy. Well, that doesn't happen. And then he says, they have extreme poverty. They're in economic crisis, but they've welled up in crisis economically with rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. In fact, no, they didn't. They gave beyond their ability, entirely on their own. There was no manipulation. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. They begged us to take their offering. And they didn't do as we expected. Look at this. They, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. He's saying, you wanna, do you want to see what an experience of God's generous love in a person's life will do? He says, what they're going to do is they're going to start, they're going to become so selfless and so generous that it, it's not even recognizable as a, as a human reality. I mean, these people are crazy. And then, do you see the order? He says, because they experienced God's generous love, they first gave themselves, sacrificially gave themselves to who? The Lord. I'm yours, God. And then they gave their stuff to us. They sacrificially gave to us their resources. And this is how it works. Generous love motivates selfless generosity. There are a lot of people who claim to have experienced God's generous love. And they're yet to show selfless generosity. The question is, is it talk or is it real? I think the reasons the experience of generous love leads to selfless generosity is, uh, comes down to three things, really, in, in the way I see it. You see, when we experience generous love, it, it really does change who we trust. And we're not used to experiencing selfless, generous love in this world, right? We're, we're used to experiencing, at best, selfish love. In other words, you love me, so okay. I'll love you back because I want you to love me more and I'll love you back more. And it's like this, this selfless, this, not selfless, but selfish, generous love. It's phileo love in the Bible. And so, but, but when we experience unconditional, selfless, generous love, it literally changes who we trust. Hey, look at how the Bible says it in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love always protects, love always trusts. When you really experience this unselfish love, it, it motivates trust, which leads to hope, and it perseveres, and it never fails. And I tell you, this happened to me in marriage again. I, I didn't trust many things in life when Roxanne and I got married. And I, you know, I, it's a big deal, this marriage thing. And, but over the years, as she's unconditionally loved me, it's changed my level of trust. Look at I trust Roxanne with my life. And she'd tell you she trusts me with her life. And there's only one reason. It's because we've experienced this unconditional, unbending, uncompromising love for each other for so long that it's changed who we trust. And the same thing's supposed to happen with God. See, and that's what happened with the book of Acts. They experienced God's love to such a profound degree that they went from not trusting him to trusting him absolutely. In fact, you know, God makes a promise in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and this is the promise. He goes, my God will meet all your needs. How much of your needs? My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Does that mean if you're rich and you have plenty and you hoard it all for yourself and things go bad, that God will then meet your need? No, it doesn't mean that. It means... If you have nothing, God's still going to meet your needs according to his riches. The Macedonians experienced his love to such a degree that it changed their trust. They realized they didn't need the little they had. They instead could be generous with that and God would keep meeting their needs. It changed who they trust. Has, has who you trust changed? You see, many people who claim to have experienced God's love 
Don't trust this promise. And I, this isn't a judgment, this is a fact. Most don't give. I'm able to evaluate my level of trust of God of whether I'm willing to acknowledge you're going to meet all of my needs even if I'm generous like you've asked me to be generous or not. Has it changed who you trust? You see, this is big. If we really experience generous love, it changes what we value. It really does. I, I valued a lot of things when I came into my marriage, but there's... Nothing on this planet I value more now than my marriage. I valued a lot of things before I had a family, but now that I have a family, there is nothing on this planet I value more than my family. Why? Because I've experienced my center of love from them. It changes what we value. And if we've really experienced the generous love of God, wouldn't it, wouldn't it transform what we value? Yes, it would. If we believe the Bible, look what Jesus said in Matthew 6. I'll start with verse 19. This is Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. By the way, if I could just do an aside, you know what makes heaven heaven? No vermin. <laughs> Whatever the crap that is, right? I mean, seriously. Like vermin's like rats and mice and things, or the worst of humanity, whatever. Vermin. Great word. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what Jesus is saying? Look at if you've really experienced the love of God in your life, you're gonna you're gonna value the eternal more than you value the temporal. And then he says, No one can serve, this is verse 24 of Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. You can't love them both. Do you realize what we value reveals where we've found love? Have you found your love in God? When we really experience generous love, it changes not just who we trust and what we value, it changes where we invest. When I, when I came into my marriage with Roxanne and started the whole family gig, um, my number one investment was me. I, and I'm, I'm really sorry, I, I think most human beings are like this, not all, but most. I, my number one investment was me. Who did I love? Me. Who did I like? Me. <laughs> Who did I want to bless? Me. You know, that kind of thing. And, but you know, as I've experienced the unconditional love of my wife and kids and grandkids, they're who I want to invest in. And you know, the same thing happens when we really experience the generous love of Jesus. It changes who we trust and what we value and where we invest. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not just to your own interests, but you should invest in the interests of others as well. Why? Because your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. When you've experienced his love, it changes where you invest. And yet as I look around, and this isn't judgment, it's just honest evaluation, a lot of people who claim Jesus still aren't defined by Trust for God, <clears throat> value for eternity, and investment in other people. And I'm going to tell you, I, I struggle with this. I'm, I'm just going to, I, I don't try and pretend with you. I struggle with this at times. And it just reveals that we're not defined by his love as we should be. We sing about it. We talk about it. We just don't live it. Which is why hope is a fictional story in our lives instead of the real experience of our lives. Which is why we talk about changing the world with hope, but we don't turn our world upside down with hope. But the good news is we can if we become like them. And so here's the application I, I have. And remember, this is a personal thing I'm going through and just sharing it with you. If we want to turn our world upside down with hope, then, then we have to experience and then generously share God's love. Because when we experience his love, it'll change everything and 
when we share it, it can then turn our world upside down. And I, I just really need you to listen to this next comment because it's worth the whole talk, I think. Most of us are allowing the betrayals we've experienced in our human journey to influence us more than the grace of God in our lives. Most of us are allowing the betrayals, the selfishness, the hurts that selfish people have brought into our lives more than we're allowing the generous, selfless love of God to influence us because even though we get touched by God's love, the betrayal of others' selfishness defines who we trust, no one but ourselves defines our values. We're going to hold it all for ourselves because what we do is we actually don't trust God because though we know he's loved us, the selfishness and betrayal of other human beings has so defined us that they, we can't even find a way to trust him. And it's just corrupting us. We actually think the only way to find hope is to keep everything for ourselves, to trust ourselves, to hoard for ourselves, to value ourselves, to invest in ourselves. And that's the way to darkness, despair, and emptiness because selfishness destroys hope. It's killing our marriages. It's killing our families. It's killing our churches. It's killing our politics. It's killing our planet. It's killing our lives. We have to turn it around, and they did, but only one way. They experienced God's love so profoundly that it changed everything. We need to experience God's love. Are you? If you're already a believer, I, I tell you, the, look what 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. You, you can't have God and not have it. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. They're in relation, but whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If we claim to have experienced his generous love in our lives and we're not loving, then we're not experiencing his generous love, are you? And there are some here, and this is, this is going to be a weird moment. There are some here who've never experienced it. And this is going to be a weird moment because, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm, I'm like just in the middle of my talk. And I'm going to... I'm going to give you a chance to pray with me and experience his love. In the middle of my talk, and I'm telling you this, that it's in the middle of my talk because, I don't know, it's like we've been trained by Pavlov um, <laughs> that when I pray, you leave. And I, I, <laughs> I just need you to know that I'm in the middle of my talk. <laughs> so if when I pray right now, you leave... That'll be bad, okay? So just understand that, and then worship's going to come later as well. But seriously, some of you have never experienced God's love in a way that's overcome the hurts and betrayals and selfishness you've experienced in this world. And you need to experience this love. Then you can start trusting him and valuing him and investing for him. And so... I'm going to give you believers a chance to pray. I'm going to give those of you who've never received Jesus a chance to pray with me. And so if you just bow your head just for a moment and, and if you're ready to open your life to him, just quietly in your heart, take my words and make them yours. Say, Jesus, I, I, I just need your love. I don't deserve it. I've sinned against you. I'm guilty. But I believe that out of love, you died on the cross for me. And then you rose again. And so by faith, I'm giving you my sin and receiving your loving forgiveness. And by faith, I'm opening myself to your new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now just before I go on to the, to the big so what of this talk, I... If you, I, I, we put together a letter about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. And if you just prayed with me, just let us know. It's really easy if you're in one of our services, just take out the program. There's a connection card. Fill it out. Answer the questions appropriately. And then there are boxes at every exit of all of our campuses. Throw it in there and we'll send you that letter. And if you're watching online, just hit the what next button and we'll do the same thing for you. But, but see, this is the starting point, right? Because these people in the book of Acts, they, they experienced his love and it transformed them. But they kept experiencing his love. 
They kept experiencing it, and they kept giving of themselves. And that's how they turned the world upside down. We can't turn the world upside down by, by being selfless once, right? And so I have to, because I want to be a part of turning the world upside down with hope, I, I have to keep evaluating myself because I, I have found that if I don't keep hitting the refresh button on God's love, that I will go from selfless to selfish in a matter of seconds. Do any of you, are any of you human like me? Or are you kind of like robotic or something? Are you all? Yeah, it's like, and so, just like with a computer, you know, you have to hit refresh. I have to, I have to experience refresh with God's love all the time. Because here's something that's guaranteed. I don't have to hit refresh to experience this world's betrayal and selfishness and hurts. It's going to happen every day. And so I have to make sure I'm hitting refresh on God's love so that I can continue to be more influenced by his love than I am by the selfishness of this world. And so I have to evaluate myself. And the question I ask is, what, what does my giving say about my love for God? That's, that's, what does my giving say about my love for God today? What does my giving say about it? The way I'm giving myself, the way I'm giving my stuff. And so for you, the question is, what does our giving say about our love for God? And I want to approach it just from two ways. The first thing is, I, what does our giving say about our love for God as individuals? Right? Because we're a collection of individuals. And what makes any community great is the quality of the individuals who make up that community. And so what, what does your giving say about your love for God as an individual? And, and know this, I can't tell you. You know, I can't judge you. I, I have no clue. This is self-introspection and self-evaluation. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says it's extremely important, but since you excel in everything spiritual and faith and speech and knowledge and complete passion and earnestness and the love we've kindled in you, you can't leave this thing out. You need to see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Why does God say if you're really going to experience my hope and, and live out a story of hope that you have to excel in the grace of giving? It's simple because hope is built upon Selfless generosity and hope is destroyed by selfishness. And this is why even in churches you can see darkness and despair and betrayal and, and misery. It's because if a church is filled with people who are still living in selfishness, what happens to the hope of the story of that church? It's destroyed. And so it's not about, are we a church or not? It's not what kind of individuals are we when it comes to this? We have to excel in the grace of giving or else we'll destroy hope. And so a couple years ago, I actually introduced the concept of the fact that generosity is a journey. And I called it the journey of generosity. And, I, and this, is really imp this is so important. It's the giving journey. You need to know that, that you don't just become this great, excellent, selfless, generous person and you stay there forever. It's this journey. And I, before I, I share this with you, but in my marriage, I didn't become the unbelievably awesome husband that I am today overnight. <laughs> but, and my wife would say I have a long way to go, but she would tell you, she would honestly tell you, I've come a long way. And that's exactly what life's like. You know, you're never arrived. You're always on a journey. And she'd say, I have climbed a huge mountain of love in our relationship. But she'd say, there's a lot of mountain to go, but at least I'm on the journey. And that's how it is with selfless generosity to God. And so the, there's the first time when, when you go, wow, his love has so impacted me, I'm going to give for the first time. And a lot of people haven't. And it's, this is an amazing thing when for the first time you go, I'm going to trust him enough to give to him. I'm going to, I'm going to value him enough to give to him. I'm going to, I'm going to invest in the right things and, and to give for the first time. This is a big deal. And it shows you've been impacted. But that, it can't stop there. Then the next step is to give occasionally when, wow, this happens or that happens and he does something in my life or something said that reminds me, yeah, I'll give. But, but then the next step is to become intentional. Because you see, in the early stages of our love, it's like when I experienced love from Roxanne, I'd give her love. But when I wasn't experiencing love, then I wouldn't give her love. But over time... What happens is you're so impacted by the love that even when you're not experiencing it, you start giving it, right? 
And this is how it's supposed to be with God, that even when life's not going well, I've experienced his love to such an extent that I'm going to keep being generous anyway, and that's when we become intentional givers. We make it intentional. And then we start tithing. Tithing is where, you know, God says um, you give 10% of all that he gives you. 10%. That's the minimum standard. He says that's where, that much, that's where I want you to be. That's obedience. Tithe. And a lot of people go, oh my gosh. I've got to give 10% to God? Uh. That's the wrong way to look at it. You know what he's saying? You get to keep 90% for yourself. <laughs> wow. It's awesome. And you go, what's the big deal about that? He gave it all to you. And he's only just saying, remember me, this obedience thing is the tithe. And so he's like, I've experienced your love and provision so much that now I just want to obey you. I'm going to give you the tithe. But, yeah, but think about this. This is really, really important. If I'm tithing, a lot of Christians believe if I'm tithing, I'm being generous. No, you're not. If you're tithing, you're being obedient. There's a difference between obedience and generosity, right? Do you know when a Christian becomes generous? When they start giving beyond the tithe. When they start saying, out of the 90% that God said I could keep, I still want to keep giving. That's when we become extravagant givers, which is what Jesus was. And so we experience his love to such a degree that we then, we, we start trusting him enough to give first time and then occasionally and then intentionally and then tithing and living obedience and then extravagantly. And remember what I said about me as a husband, I've come a long way, but I've got a long way to go. Roxanne and I have been in the extravagant category for a long time, but you know, we still have a long way to go because just because we're a little bit generous doesn't mean we're sacrificially generous. How much of our 90% are we cutting into? Wow, what does my giving say about my love for God as an individual? Do you get this? Are you, are you in this? And this is where hope is built or destroyed. Crazy. And then, what does our giving say about our love for God as a church? What does our giving say about our love as God as a church, our love for God as a church? I mean, are we just heaping it on ourselves and, you know, being selfish, or are we really trying to change the world? And I think this is important. I, I give to this church. In fact, Roxanne and I, and we give sacrificially, but we give it all to this church because we see this church kind of like, a, kind of like um, mutual funds, like, have you ever tried to invest in individual stocks, pick your stock and do that stuff? I've never done well at that. In fact, every time I've done it, lost my shirt. And so I go, mutual funds, baby. You know, let's spread the diversity. And here, when we give here, we know we're giving to help the poor, the broken, the hurting, to win the lost, to do all that. I mean, it's like this huge thing around the world we're doing. We're giving locally and uh, thing. And so, you know, we give here. But here's what I care about. What does this church do with it? Now, I'm giving it to God, but I want to know this church is fulfilling the mission of Jesus. And two years ago, uh, we started this thing called All In, this journey where I challenged you to get on to the, to the journey of generosity, to take your next step. And the reason I challenged you to do that is because I wanted us to be a ministry that experienced the love of God so much that we became selfless and generous, that, that we started turning the world upside down with hope. And... And I had told you two years ago, and for those of you who are guests, glad you're here and hearing this. It's like, I told you two years ago that we had been stuck for a long time at the same level. Just stuck. And we had been stuck at it, and this will sound like a large figure, but when you understand the size of this organization, the scope of the impact we're having, the amount of money that we give around the world, it's not a lot of money. We were stuck at about 11 million for years. 11 million operational budget, years. And we had this vision to impact the world, to impact people around the world even more and here in our own community more, and we couldn't, we couldn't do it. We just were stuck. And so I said, you know what the problem is? We're not experiencing God's love in ways that making us take the next step of generosity, and if we were, and we did, we could do more. 
And a bunch of you go, you know what, I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to go from nothing to first time and all that different stuff. And you know what happened in the first year? This happened two years ago. In the first year, we went as a church from $11 million, where we had been for about seven years, from $11 million to about $17 million in a year. That's pretty good. Awesome. And, um, and our goal was 18, but we got close, you know, from 11 to 17. In the second year, um, well, we kind of fell back to 13 million. Uh, that's where we're at now. And, and uh, we're throwing December into this process, so you know, who knows what will happen in December. Um, and our whole Christmas offering, everything's going to go into this so that we can continue to forge forward on, on making an impact of lives. But here, here's, and I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful for, for the way people took a next step. But the scary thing for me is that, that I don't know if you noticed that when we made that journey of generosity, it was, it was all uphill. We didn't, we didn't say, let's go uphill for a while and then let's go downhill. Because that's not what's supposed to happen. Can you imagine where Roxanne said, yeah, you, you really grew in your love for me the first two years, but you have really sucked for the last 35. <laughs> the reason our, our marriage is everything I could ever imagine it being is because we keep growing and not stepping back. I believe the reason the world's not being turned upside down by our hope is because we have spurts of love and unselfishness, but we don't have a lifetime of it. And we need to keep taking steps forward and keep taking steps forward. And because of the next step that many of you took, we've been able to do so much that we said we wanted to do. Um, if you ask where, where have we been investing, you know, above. And by the way, everything that comes in here, including every paper clip that we buy, we, we view it through the lens of are we waking people up to Jesus? Is this a missional investment? Are we going to, are we trusting God and valuing the right thing and investing in the right things? And, but with the, what we were going to do, if you took your next step, we told you what we were going to do. We had been investing around the world millions and millions and millions and, and we had been getting our staff down to more and more bare bones and not able to make the investments here to keep this mission strong so we could keep impacting the world and all kinds of other things were going on. So we said if you took your next step of generosity to expand our ability to impact the world, this is what we would do. We would purchase and renovate and expand our regional campus locations and that's what's happened. We, we've, uh, we were able to fully fund, no debt, the Bright, Brighton campus build and renovation and, you know, it's now running, it's now running 500 people and growing and people's lives are being changed because of your all-in giving. It's unbelievable. The same thing has happened with all of our campuses. Grosseal, we've been able to do updates. It still needs to keep going forward. We're investing there. Celine, we've been looking for the location for Celine. And those of you at Celine, you're so faithful. And God hasn't opened that door yet. But All In's made it possible for us to step in and debt-free get that campus built so we can reach more people for Jesus and Celine. I'm excited about that. We were able to buy this chapel here at Plymouth, and we have high school ministry there and weddings and funerals there, so we don't have to build that building on this campus anymore, and it was all because of you all, and it's what we said we'd do. Then we said we were going to repurpose and update and complete the Plymouth campus, and, and the biggest thing on this list was traffic and parking. Have, you, have any of you noticed we have traffic and parking <laughs> issues? Yeah. Well, and, and you might be going, I haven't seen any changes. You're right. And here's, but we've done a lot. We've analyzed it. We've engineered it, we've designed it, we know the best way to move traffic on the site and off the site and to do these different things and to build this thing, we've got it, you've given and we have the ability to step right into that project and finish it debt free right now because of you, as we promised but there's this little thing of like governmental approvals in our way and uh, <laughs> I have to tell you right now, we love Plymouth Township we are hoping they'll love us that'll be great, and but Seriously, every time we get close to an administration, you vote them out. And that doesn't help us very much. And so it's like they keep switching around, but we're building those relationships, and we really believe they'll work with us, and we'll get that traffic thing done because of your giving. And we're also looking at the refurbishing of this building in ways that we've talked about in the past. That's still going forward moving forward. You'll hear more about that in the future, and the way to get that done is obviously through us 
keeping taking these next steps. We've advanced the technology language of our church so that we're speaking the same language of technology that they have out there. You know, it's the world speaks in HD, and we were speaking in standard definition, and you've allowed us to move forward in that. And I don't know if you've noticed, there are some people who have been coming to me recently saying, wow, you've aged. <laughs> and I'm saying, no, the cameras have gotten better. That's uh, But you get the idea. And... Another thing, this is really important, and I hope you'll stick with me on this. We've, we're converting the Plymouth campus, which is a very big footprint, we're converting it to be more green and sustainable. We're, we're investing in uh, green HVA systems and lighting and lighting controls because we want to be good citizens of our community and our environment. And, and we're investing all the way around because you've made it possible, just like we promised we'd do. All the while, why are we doing those things? So we can wake the world up to Jesus, so that we can reach into this world. We've also said that we were running so skinny on a staff that we couldn't do the ministry we needed to do, so we've staffed to the vision, and we've, we've literally made some strategic hires to enhance and to expand our operations and ministries, and, and we've added some great pe people to our team because of you. You've made that possible. And, and finally, I want you to know we promised that we'd continue to expand our impact to the compassion ministries to help the poor, hurting, and the broken, because if we're not helping the poor, hurting, and broken... Who cares what we're doing, right? And so we're still investing big time in that regionally, locally, and internationally and making a huge difference. I mean in food and, and in housing and in, in sharing Jesus with them uh, here and around the world. And we're, we hired an outreach person recently to come in and help us to expand our ability to make a big dent in Detroit and for all of us to be able to serve in that capacity. Why? Because we want to be a church that turns the world upside down with hope. And you're making that possible. But here's what I believe. God's church doesn't need another cause. But every single cause needs Jesus at the center of it. And so we as a church are trying to experience Jesus at the center of us and then selflessly and generously take Jesus into the center of every cause so that we can change the world. But the only way it happens is the way it happened with them. They first gave themselves and then they gave their stuff and they were able to change the world. And what's the impact? I'll just quickly share with you. The impact is life change. Do you realize in the last two years we've had over 1,000 people trust Jesus for the very first time? 1,000 people. That's unbelievable. A thousand people who didn't know Jesus now know Jesus. And then we've had close to 2,000 people who, who had seen themselves as knowing God but had fallen apart, who've renewed their spiritual life in a way that's redefining them, close to 2,000 spiritual renewals. And we've had in the last two years 1,228 baptisms. Wow. And some of you are going, well, what's the big deal? 95% of the churches in America don't see one baptism in a year. And in two years, we've seen one, we've seen, we've seen <laughs> 1,228 baptisms. This is a God thing. And why? Because we are selflessly giving of ourselves and this church is selflessly giving of our stuff and it's making a huge difference. And I'm, I'm just proud of you. Here, as your pastor, this is how I'm going to conclude, and then we're going to go into worship. As, as your pastor, I want to thank you for what you've done. You're changing the world. And I hope that you keep moving forward in your generosity like Roxanne and I are trying to do. This Thursday's Thanksgiving, and I'm going to tell you one of the great things I'm going to thank God for is you. I, I Literally, my heart explodes with gratitude for who you are. And it's pretty easy to say, you know, I'll give 10 bucks to build that building and I'll do this, but to have this ongoing generosity that's growing for a mission that's, that's expanding and it's into forever, it's an amazing thing. And you are that kind of church family. Let's keep it going forward. Let's make it happen. My prayer is that we've just begun and that the world will change because of our story in chapter 29. I want to encourage you to keep taking steps forward in your journey of generosity. Don't slide back. And if you're not participating in the mission, get involved because it's when you experience God's love that you start generously sharing. And I'm going to be sharing over the course of the next year some things that God is calling us to that we can invest in. And it's going to be exciting. 
But here's the conclusion, and then we're going to worship. Acts chapters 1 through 28 in the Bible show them turning their world upside down with hope because they were defined by sacrificial giving. If we want their story, we have to live their lives. And so Acts chapter 29 will only turn our world upside down with hope if we're defined by sacrificial giving of ourselves, of our stuff. And so as the worship team gets ready, here's the reality. The only thing holding us back from turning our world upside down with God's hope is what we're holding back. Let's not hold back anything so that our world will experience the fullness of hope that we're experiencing. Let's turn the world upside down with hope and let's start giving it all right now as we worship together.